Hey, welcome to Ruby Rogues. This week on our panel, we have Valentino Stoll. Hey now. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week, we have a special guest. It's Elia Skito. Elia, do you want to remind people who you are? And yeah, well, I lived in Italy for two years, so I have practice. You're really good. And uh, well, I'm kind of known for having maintained Opal. That's, I guess it's almost uh, eight years now. And Opal is this Ruby to JavaScript compiler. And well, it's targeted toward browser development. Uh, and it's uh, really different from the recent Ruby was. I guess maybe we'll have a chance to speak about that. And it's um, super efficient, can be used in production and super fun to use. Cool. Yeah, and we've had you on to talk about Opal before. So rather than kind of go into the fundamentals of what Opal is, again, we're going to refer people back to that. But can you just give people kind of the two minute explanation of what it what it is and what it does? And then I'd like to get into, hey, what's changed since the last time we had you on? Sure. So basically, Opal is a source compiler. So it doesn't try to have virtual machine or anything. For example, a string in um, in Ruby, translated to JavaScript will be a string in JavaScript. That's the basics. The same goes for arrays. Uh, methods will be mapped to functions and class <laughs> are JavaScript classes. So it's really efficient in its compilation and uh, that allows uh, it to have a super tiny runtime. We also ship all the core library. So you get like the feeling of being uh, fully in, inside Ruby. The main difference I should mention uh, is that um, strings are non-mutable in Opal. That's a big difference if you're using mutable strings, but nowadays most people will uh, fr- freeze strings uh, and do mm-hmm. less things. Like so I guess it's less of a problem. Yeah, I've seen some stuff in just regular Ruby where a lot of people are opting to freeze their strings. There's also the comment directive you can put at the top of your files that is frozen string literal something. I can't remember. That yeah, does some stuff with that. All the people using Rubicon, for example, would be like yeah. pushed to use that uh, by default. So it's less mm-hmm. or less. Actually, a few maybe years ago, it seemed like Ruby was moving toward uh, uh, frozen strings by default, and that got backtracked uh, at some point by Mats. I guess mm-hmm. for compatibility. But at the time, I was sure like uh, we didn't have to implement that. <laughs> so just wait <laughs> until uh, Ruby comes to to the same position. Right. Anyways, it's uh, it's only an issue whenever you try to port an existing uh, gem and mm-hmm. make it work uh, in Opal. That, that's uh, usually the the one thing you need to to change or patch. Otherwise, uh, if you're writing code, it's uh, barely a nuisance. You don't notice. Yeah. Apart from that, well, speaking of um, porting gems, uh, one new addition we had uh, fairly recently is that we released the Opal spec 1.0. And is that different from our spec? Yeah, the, the big difference is that it runs in the browser or on Node if you want. So oh, you, can okay. run, you can run specs, uh, you write Ruby and uh, you access uh, whatever the DOM or like any JavaScript library. But the, the environment in which you move uh, is the usual uh, RSpec environment. And I think we, we run all, almost all the, the original specs from uh, RSpec. So RSpec has its own specs. And we, we are able to pass most of them. And as I mentioned, in many cases, the problem is just uh, like one spec is using multiple strings and expect that to change. But apart from this stuff, uh, we are more or less uh, on par in features. And let me add, uh, we we even have more features because uh, another recent addition is uh, support for uh, async await uh, from the JavaScript world. Mm-hmm. I, know, I guess most people would be familiar, but that's... Uh, 
like syntax sugar around promises in JavaScript. That's really cool because in JavaScript, you can block the code for waiting for something else and you just need to use callbacks or promises. But with async await, you get the same like effect of blocking, waiting for a return and like makes everything more, more linear. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And uh, we didn't have uh, initially support for this, uh, but now we have support. Uh, you can just switch on a flag, like the frozen string magic comment at the top of the file, and you'll be able to call uh, double underscore await, double underscore. That's sort of primitive for customize the, the method you want to await on. And that will be magically awaiting stuff in JavaScript. So the interoperability is uh, very easy. Like you can, you'll be able to test, I don't know, jQuery or React with uh, mm-hmm. our spec. How does that work? <laughs> is is, uh, <laughs> is the interpreter waiting on the request sent in those cases for async? So uh, the interpreter is, is uh, the JavaScript interpreter. We don't inject any interpreter in between. We just we just have a, a runtime support uh, library, which is uh, exactly for support. It's helpers. Uh, it's setting up basic objects and stuff like that. For sync await, uh, we basically just translate to await and the sync in the JavaScript code and rely on uh, on the um, JavaScript engine we're using. So uh, most of the time for development, for example, I use uh, Node, which is mm-hmm. faster from the terminal. But like for an application, you'll use a browser, and that's it. You'll, it will it will translate uh, and like the the work it does uh, is to translate uh, to a sync await and propagate the async to all the containing functions. That's basically what you need to do for a sync await to work. That's it, more or less. So, so I'm relatively new to Opal. I imagine many people are that haven't haven't played with the kind of trans compi- compiler kind of thing with Ruby. Where's a good place to get start for most people? Uh, what what do you what do you recommend people start looking at? So just to sort of mess around with uh, with things, uh, the easiest, super easy way is to go to the Opal um, website, which is uh, opalrb.com slash try. And that is an in-browser compiler. So you can write some Ruby code, see the results on the right side, uh, and the compiled code uh, below. That, that's uh, the fa- fastest way to try to it around. But if you want to dig a little deeper, you can just install the gem. Like, uh, it's super easy to get started with that. You gem install Opal, uh, and then uh, they, uh, we have our, an Opal command, uh, which is, uh, it tries to be as much as possible one-to-one with the Ruby command. So dash uppercase I will be the include path. You append a file name. It will try to compile to run that file name. If you want to compile, you can add uh, minus C, like for compilation, and you, you can dash dash help and get a list of uh, of flags you can use for different things. Just today, I guess the, the, the episode will come out after we release uh, the, the full version, but just today I released uh, the release candidate one for 1.7, which includes a minus minus uh, watch flag. So you can uh, even like start a, a watching process and have a bunch of files and get the thing compiled. Oh, that's awesome. So you can see kind of real time mm-hmm. how, you're, how you're working. That's great. Yeah. On the common line, there's also this... Uh, there's also this uh, concept of a runner in which you can select uh, which runner you want to use, and that could be Node or the browser. And if you select Chrome, it will start a, a server, and you open the, the address. Oh, sorry. You can use a server runner for that. It will start a server. You can open the browser and see things live. 
And that will already uh, change as you change the files, like you refresh and get the updated code. So you're uh, usually when I see the double dash watch on JavaScript or front end resources, it's basically when you change something, you know, recompile, right? And so are you imagining this could be used in like Rails or something where I, you know, I effectively have it recompiling as I go, like you said, and then refreshing the page? Yeah, yeah, about race, uh, we, we had this uh, Operace uh, gem, which is kind of old-fashioned with uh, Sprocket mm-hmm. support and everything from the, from the old guard, I'll say. I and, like Sprocket, uh, so... Me too, I spent countless hours reading the source, uh, maybe too many. But yeah, anyway, if you install uh, race uh, nowadays, it's a bit different. So just a few weeks ago, I started uh, working on JS bundling. And uh, part of the reason we were releasing the Dash Watch uh, option is to better support uh, a, a JS bundling option. I hope it will be merged, like I'll, I'll open up PR. It's, the project is straight. It's pretty simple. Like it's uh, a few right. lines. And uh, the, the only big difference with everything else in there is that uh, would be the only integration not using uh, JavaScript and the package JSON. But I don't see that as a, a big problem. Like it's basically relying yeah. on one watch command and one build command. That's it. Makes sense. I'm just going to drop in here. And I think we talked a little bit about this when we had DHH on a while back about some of the asset pipeline stuff. But we went from Sprockets to Webpacker. And now we've got the JS bundling Rails, which is the ES build based and roll up based stuff that it just works a little bit different. So, yeah, it's interesting that you can pull it in that way without using sprockets and stuff. Yeah. With that, I find super interesting how that probably came from middlemen. I'm not sure about the origin, but middlemen uh-huh. used to have the, like, the external asset uh, compilation with more or less the same concept. And uh, yeah, right. I guess that's the easiest way to integrate uh, anything. <laughs> yeah, one th- one other thing that I'm assuming some people are going to be wondering about is, does this mean that I can write my front-end code in Ruby? That means uh, exactly that. And uh, actually, I, I used to have production applications uh, with even millions of visits per day and uh, running on... Like, we developed a sort of uh, internal uh, framework for front-end uh, code. It was mm-hmm. somewhat similar to what Stimulus ended up being. Less refined, I admit. Uh, Stimulus is really, <laughs> like, streamlined. We just had... I guess you're familiar with that. We, we just had selectors, the JavaScript, the CSS selectors uh-huh. for targeting elements. That was inside the Ruby code instead of uh, having uh, hooks in the HTML and like a more pure code uh, for the controller. But that was basically the same. And the other thing that's really interesting is that uh, if you have some ERB files, uh, you can actually compile them in the browser. So you can share some some views. You can share uh, uh, models that are not attached to the database, for example, if you have borrow classes like the sharing is uh, is really interesting and useful. In my experience, not that frequent. Like there are just a few things you share, some logic you implemented in Ruby. But like to me, the pleasure of writing Ruby, like the clearness of the syntax, uh, the ability to re- reuse all my object-oriented skills I acquired along the years. I hope I acquired them. Was the greatest thing. Like it was really, really ple- pleasurable. Very cool. Now, one other thing you mentioned is uh, Ruby Wasm. So yeah, so what's what's the difference there? I mean, I get that you said I think this translates from Ruby to JavaScript, and the other probably 
compiles to the WASM bytecode, whatever it is. I, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but is, is that the only difference? And does it work kind of the same otherwise, or are there more meaningful differences than that? Yeah, I think the two projects are thought for different purposes. My understanding, and I could be wrong, but my understanding is that the Ruby WASM support uh, is more for uh, Lambda style situations like in which you, you will have some environment in which you can only run JavaScript or, or that's the only supported options, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and that allows you to run actual Ruby code to that. Doesn't seem to be a viable option for a production website uh, unless you're, I guess, unless your only objective is to allow people to compile Ruby and try out like some inline uh, examples. I, I can see a, a, an option for that. Uh, in a learning site or something like that. But otherwise, for your application, JavaScript application code, that's probably not a good option. Like it's several megabytes of, uh, of code and it's it also, it's not too fast. Yeah, and like if anyone wants to have like um, the feeling of the difference, uh, Opal is uh, officially featured uh, in, at the org page. If you click on Playground, you'll get an option to play around with both Opal and RubyWasm. And Opal is the default because it's faster. Even in, if in that page it loads the, the parser and the compiler, which is not necessary to have uh, in any production application. Yeah, you know, I was just going to ask you about the Try Ruby. How did that all come together? I'm super interested because I, I remember seeing the announcement for the, the WebAssembly uh, version of Try Ruby coming out. I didn't know that they also supported an Opal backend. How did you get involved in that? So I, I wasn't involved uh, personally, but uh, I think one of the main contribute contributors uh, that is like doing the bulk of the work lately, I, let, let me say this before anything else. I'm sort of the maintainer, but my role nowadays uh, is mostly to in reviewing and merging and releasing these kind of things. Like I, I will be the historical memory and stuff. I should give credit to HMDNA. Anyway, it's, it's a, a bunch of letters, but you can like, you'll see his handle uh, all over the place in the repository. He's doing a tremendous work. And uh, I think at some point, uh, the try Ruby was sort of broken, or maybe the playground was broken, and he fixed it uh, uh, using Opal, and it was working fine. And uh, it's been in Opal for several versions, uh, and uh, surely before the Ruby Wasm thing was, uh, was released. So Opal was there before, and then they added the option to, to use uh, the one you prefer, which is like nice. Mm-hmm. the more the better how do you like first how do you find somebody to <laughs> to take over a project that you're maybe I don't, I don't know if you were overwhelmed with it or not but maybe you want to take a step back from it like how does that whole process work i'm, I'm super curious and like are you ha- happy with that decision too right yeah i'm super happy to welcome new contributors uh, and this is a kind of project that uh, sort of uh, gets involved uh, people with this uh, kind of uh, love for puzzles uh, because uh, you get like the Ruby spec, which is uh, like a fully ready spec suite. And you can just uh, implement stuff <coughs> and make it pass, pass one thing, one, one more feature. So it's a big puzzle. And if you have that kind of mindset, it's uh, super interesting. I was personally more involved in uh, writing code, but over time, uh, the family grew. And uh, I just had the last kid uh, last August. Uh, so it's uh congratulations uh, thank you 
I find it harder and harder to spend uh, like uh, the nights uh, doing that. And like at some point I was uh, staying in the kids' room, like uh, keeping them quiet for like getting to sleep. The moment they, they shut up, uh, they fall asleep. Uh, so I was using that time for doing open source, but it's uh, like time goes by. And uh, anyway, over time we had uh, several great contributors uh, that spent a few years uh, with the project. Uh, and I'm happy with that. Like uh, I don't even need to know the name or whatever. Like I'm happy to provide this uh, like mutual uh, uh, relationship in which they, they are allowed they have the chance to have the project the way they want, and we and everyone gets something that has more features, more bug fixes, and so on. Yeah, one of uh, our alumni is uh, Ilya Bilic, who's now maintaining the parser gem, and I think his transition uh, in this case went through Opal because uh, Opal uses the parser gem to parse Ruby code, which is the same uh, gem that's being used by uh, Rubicon for example. And uh, so he, he started fixing bugs uh, and maintaining that from outside and eventually he became the, the main maintainer there. So I'm super happy about that. I'm curious, the use of the parser gem, are, are there talks about maybe switching to the new syntax tree work that Kevin Newton's working on? Uh, I'm not sure I know which is, but if, if, if it's the one I'm thinking about, uh, I tried out the formatter could it be that they have a format. Okay, that's really good. No, for now, we, we didn't talk about that, uh, but we, we have uh, sort of other priorities. Uh, we want to come up with a 2.0 version, which are really strong support for um, ES modules and uh, like complete that part of the work. Uh, the parser jam is working pretty nice for us, so we don't have many grievances with that. Uh, and uh, lately, we also implemented, uh, and when I say we, I mean... HMD and A uh, also implemented the preforking and parallel compilation. So now the compilation is super fast. It's barely milliseconds. And there's also caching. So the combination of the two makes it like a no-brainer. Like after the first pass, it's really nothing. That's awesome. So I'm also wondering, because it sounds like you're implementing Ruby spec and you're, you know, you're you're mostly finding compatibility issues between, I guess, uh the, the standard Ruby and Opal, are there things that Opal can't do that a lot of Rubyists may want to do? Well, I already mentioned uh, multiple strings. That's a big one, I think. Otherwise, uh, lately we was also implemented, for example, binding.irb, which I didn't thought it was uh-huh. possible. Yeah, and uh, we support uh, refinements, which I don't know anyone that uses them. So we added even like uh, exotic features like that. Uh, mm. uh, there's, of course, uh, full support for uh, inclusion, prepending, uh, singleton classes, uh, all that jazz, all the, like uh, Ruby, today we merged the PR for the support of Ruby 3.2, which I think will release uh, around Christmas as well. And uh, yeah, with that, uh, we added a few callbacks for uh, constant definitions, like it was... Uh, a few things, uh, and uh, we, we, of course, the Ruby spec is very really helpful in tracking what we're missing and what we're not mm-hmm. missing. But anyone can uh, go to the Opal uh, repo, and uh, under the spec, uh, there's a file named Ruby specs, and another folder called filters, 
like the, the former is the list of uh, folders from RubySpec we run, and the latter is uh, a list of uh, things we're, uh, we're not passing. So if you want to contribute and like deepen your knowledge of both uh, Ruby and JavaScript, which is like the likely effect, you can go there, pick any failing you want and try to make it pass. That's super easy, like super easy to get started. Not always easy to do the implementation. That's the beauty of it, I guess. That's awesome. I may try that out. <laughs> it's always great to find a project that has something easy to contribute to, you know? Yeah, you clone the, the project being set up and being raked, you're ready to, to, to go. Where were you during Oktoberfest <laughs> or Oktoberfest? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think we missed that one this year. Like, I was quite busy. So I'm, I'm curious, because, I mean, a, a huge pain point of Rails in general is, like, all its front-end portions, which are trying to get ironed out, right? Opal seems like a pretty great candidate for, you know, for using Ruby. Where do you see like kind of the most hesitation for people kind of adopting it? Yeah, that's a great question, which I asked myself uh, many times over the years, because to me, uh, like since uh, I guess 2011, when I started getting involved with the project, uh, it was a no-brainer. Makes sense. I got involved. That was my, my take on it. Over time, like uh, I, I couldn't understand this, and my answer so far can be sure, but is that people sort of uh, fall into the trap of uh, using the right tool for the job, quote unquote, right tool, the one true way of doing things, and I kind of miss that that time early in Ruby and race in which uh, like uh, everything was possible. Like uh, if you think about that, uh, the aspect syntax is. It's quite crazy. Like we came out with dot should equally. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the cucumber stuff. Like it's yeah. Like okay, uh, aspect got more success. The other one like it's less of a less uh, used nowadays. But I think it's uh, it's uh, healthy to be more like free and uh, in thinking about things we can do with with Ruby. The other part of that uh, is that. Many, many Ruby developers are actually Rails developers. And if you're a Rails developer, it's likely that you focus on the database, Active Record, backend stuff, or what you perceive as backend stuff. And uh, the front end is kind of like something you sometimes have to do. Like you hate CSS for those two days in which you have to implement something and then run away back to optimizing some query or I don't know. So that, that effect, uh, I think, is pretty strong in the Ruby community. So I had many discussions with uh, ex-colleagues and things. And like it started like, uh, oh, it's not actually Ruby. It doesn't have method missing. Then we implement method missing. So now is it Ruby? Oh, yeah, but there's this other thing and this other thing. It wasn't... <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't. It, the, it, the it doesn't have this tiny little feature that no one uses in that, that's in the Ruby spec. <laughs> yeah, but that was so it's not real Ruby. Excuse. Yeah, it's not real Ruby. Yeah, yeah. Like, and uh, for me, it's it, it's real Ruby if I can write the code that I'm writing and not have to think about that it's Opal. <laughs> yeah, the the big shift uh, in minds mindset shift is uh, is this. Uh, you need to think uh, that, like, as you have to know about SQL and uh, databases when you uh-huh. write Active Record, you probably need to know the domain of the front end 
when you write front-end code. So some basic knowledge about the browser, the DOM, the event system, that kind of stuff, uh, you, you cannot uh, avoid knowing about that. So that's, that's part of it. And it's a really a foreign environment if you never dig into it. Like I know personally many people that like just survived with some jQuery and moved on. So uh, that's also, I guess, daunting for people. And I can just like bring out my experience. It's really fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's uh, refreshing. If you, you have spent years on the backend, like it's a novel environment and you can like come up with new things and do things differently. At least I like it. One thing that kind of came to mind while we're talking through this is since it is sort of aimed at or lives in the browser, I, I get you can run it on Node and stuff too, but we had Amir Rajan on a while back. He did Dragon Ruby. We were talking about building video games and stuff like that. Could you could you do that level of stuff, that level of programming with Opal? Yeah, for video games, at some point there were a few projects uh, targeting video games uh, with Opal in the browser. They were relying on uh, libraries like 3JS and other libraries in the, that same area. I guess um, uh, if you need really performant code, like a tight loop for some uh, 3D video games, maybe you need to dig down into like uh, optimized JavaScript, not even regular JavaScript, but optimized one. Otherwise, uh, I remember developing a few games with my kids. Like we had an elephant chasing, oh, sorry, a lion chasing an elephant. And then we did a dragon, like uh, against arrows, something like that. We, we did that together. Right. And it was fun. So it's definitely possible. Yeah. Nothing that could drive like a huge adoption, like race-like adoption. Right. For sure. But for fun, it's definitely there. So you talk about kind of having to know the whole stack, digging into like Rails as an example. How do you... What do you think about like the the front end component portion, like view component or flex or something like this? What Did do you, you think say about flex? P- Let's rewind P-H- our lives about ten years. <laughs> well, phlex, it's the new kind of like view component alternative, if you will. I mean, you can use. View oh, I haven't seen that. It's pretty neat. I thought it's you were talking about Flash. <laughs> I mean, it gives you a DSL for creating the containers themselves for view component for your actual components for the view. But what's your take on that, like trajectory and architecture for conceptualizing and kind of binding together the view and the the front end and back end portions with some kind of like middle stack? And how would you kind of maybe differentiate that from how Opal sees it? Yeah, just to be sure, Flex is the one uh, that is in the tradition of MarkerD, like you write uh, blocks in Ruby to represent uh, HTML uh, nesting. Yeah, yep. Okay. Yeah, something like that could be run easily on both the server and the front-end. So like, uh, if anyone wants to build a library in which you dehydrate stuff after you render from the server and you reuse the same things, it's definitely possible. And... Um, about the general question, I just came out of, um, in September, I switched from client work within Nebulab, which is my employer, and working on open source on Solidus. Like the last client I worked on, we had this, uh, this stack with view component. We had the folders for each component, and each folder had uh, both the Ruby file for the component, the HTML in ERB, the JavaScript, the CSS, 
translations and even the spec. And uh, I have to say that's a wonderful way to approach uh, this kind of things because, uh, for example, if you get rid of one piece of the UI, you can just delete that folder and you forget about that. And once you, you connect the CSS to the, to the component, uh, like for uh, style components in their React world, uh, that's really like a complete simplification of the problem. So that's uh, really tiny, except for a few times, like we barely had uh, a time which one class had an effect on children and things like that. It was really a way to think about things and in an isolated uh, way. So that I completely like espouse that uh, approach. Uh, I tried it, uh, it's, uh, it's super helpful. And uh, in relation to Opal, uh, we had over uh, the years several projects uh, doing uh, React-like things uh, and uh, also several projects uh, uh, attempting that same, uh, attempting and doing that same approach in uh, Ruby, uh, generating HTML and CSS. Uh, the one that's uh, like the, the latest survivor, like that's still maintained and, and so on, is uh, called Paggio, which is an Italian word for, uh, I don't know, translation. But anyway, and that supports both uh, HTML and CSS, and it's the default uh, implementation for Opal Browser, which is a wrapper of uh, and rubification of uh, most of the browser API APIs. So if you if you want to treat and work with the browser in a rubbish way, you, you can surely use Opal Browser. And with that comes Paggio, and you'll have more or less the same situation as Plex. That's really cool. So, how do you how do you think about like reactivity, right? Because uh, I mean, the the push seems to be like the whole HTML over the wire, right? To handle updates to the DOM. Are are you in favor of that, or do you prefer more client side approach? No, I I I like that, and um, for the for the general case, that's a great solution. There are a few cases in which you want to have things happening in the DOM directly and that things uh, like react to a click, a mouse movement, uh, and that needs to happen instantly. And even the tiniest uh, overhead of the, over the wire is too much. So I can see like a hybrid solution. Like we use a lot of stimulus uh, and the project I mentioned. Uh, and uh, <coughs> like for some things, we, we actually implemented the uh, stuff in JavaScript, but figure a way in which you can just have uh, the same uh, template on the browser and you can re-render it with uh, local data and at the same time send the stuff uh, all of the wire, like have the confirmation of what happened. Stuff like that is is uh, surely possible and easier uh, if you use something like Opal and uh, share templates. That's, of course, it's possible even without just a little less easy. Yeah, anytime I get started with these new uh, things, I always hit a hiccup with browser events and having to handle stuff like that, or, or even just other browser API things like file or something like that. I always run into something. <laughs> the downside of working on the edge. So you mentioned Solidus. I, I used to do spree development quite a lot, and I, I know Solidus kind of like took over from... From some bad practices, I think it they first advertised it as uh, the more secure uh, Spree. <laughs> yeah, they forked from uh, Spree, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, so what's your takeaway from working with Solidus? Do you like it? What's uh, 
have you worked with Spree before? And maybe are, do you like some things over others? What are some pain points for you? Yeah, well, uh, I definitely work with uh, Spree around five to seven years ago, something like that. And uh, we actually had this uh, big multi-tenant uh, e-commerce site. In, and we we started from Spree 2.4, which is the same place from which uh, Soil to Sport, uh, and we customized everything to get this multi-tenant support. And we, we ended up uh, copying all, all of the code inside the application, like in a vendor thing, and like just to reduce the monkey patching and uh, like have a clear vision of things. So the, the history of Solus is, yes, at some point, uh, Spree was really unstable, breaking changes all over the place, which with each release, even minor releases. And from there, like it started, I think, as a fork of Spree, like internal for Stamble. I think that was the company that did it. And at some point, they just released a new version saying, okay, we're not breaking stuff as much. We are respecting Semver. We are giving a, a better service. Uh, for clients, and uh, given this is the premise, uh, Solidus uh, is uh, doing a lot of work uh, for improving uh, Spree, which is uh, the, the basis Spree, and is, I think, uh, 10 to 12 years old as a code base. So uh, the challenge there is um, to move forward uh, without breaking things uh, and uh, have a sensible migration path. And I think uh, over time, we became really, really good in the into like picking and choosing how to migrate things, uh, the deprecation cycle. So every release is uh, really easy to upgrade. And that's uh, one of the core values of the project. And of course, uh, at the same time, we're moving uh, forward with uh, all the other things and uh, new features and trying to sometimes uh, trying to get, get away from legacy habits or implementations. So that's... Uh, yeah, that's uh, the gist of it. Uh, there are a bunch of things that are coming along in these days with the new releases, which is uh, which are uh, really exciting. Like uh, some in some cases, uh, those are uh, completely changes in uh, in the mindset, like the way we approach things, and more in tune with uh, the modern uh, environment in which we live. That's cool. Yeah, I way back when I used to do Spree quite a lot. That's mm. kind of what I, what I started my Rails career in. <laughs> and I, I know the pain points there. I was glad to see somebody come in and kind of help take over a lot of the problems that were created. I mean, it, it's a huge code base and there are a lot of people working on it. And it's just nice to see that there's still a an open source e-commerce system that you can take on and pl- you know plug in and go, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And it's better and better. We are recently working uh, exactly on the out-of-the-box experience, so you, you can start the project that's something that you you would be willing to put in production because before that, like, the default uh, UI wasn't that great, or maybe it was great a few years ago. So uh, <laughs> we, we're working on that uh, and a few, on, few, on a few other things, uh, like uh, headless e-commerces are kind of uh, the, the new things for many e-commerces and... Uh, migrations from other systems, that kind of things, subscriptions. Uh, those are some of the themes we are we have covered or are covering. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to echo what uh, Valentino was saying because, yeah, I, I picked up some contracts a few years ago on on Spree, and this was before anyone was even thinking about Solidus, but, yeah, 
some things were not so bad because you weren't really diving too deep into the code. And sometimes you were you were neck deep and it was kind of a mess. So yeah, e-commerce is a, is a hard problem. Like uh, you can simplify it probably to a point. And uh, like you can surely simplify it for a simple case. Like if you have just one product, you can have shortcuts and stuff. But if you want something that's uh, scalable and that can live with you for a longer time, then you need to like uh, embrace that complexity at some point. I'm not saying like that every OOP design in there is perfect mm -hmm. and can be improved or is uh, like for sure not. But yeah, the, the complexity is there. So it's uh, more a matter of uh, putting everything in the right place and allowing people to modify the, the, the bigger biggest feature of Solus is the way in which you can morph the, the behavior of the project to your need. So that's like if you want a cookie cut solution, there are plenty and you probably don't need to open track open any code or anything, just click somewhere and go with it. Buy a theme, I don't know. If you have a, like a, anything different from others, which in some cases is the, the whole point of your business, then maybe that's a, a great solution which you can really tune it to, to your needs. Yeah, you know, e-commerce is like that classic feature trap of, uh, you know, you start off, oh, I just want to sell this thing. And then mm -hmm. you're like, well, I really have like 50 variations of this thing and I want to track all those things. And then it's like, well, now I need inventory. Well, shipping, now I want to ship to different places other than my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, now there's extra fees, new carriers. Like it just like the features just start piling up out of nowhere. And you end up like with this thing that was supposed to be just like a simple, let me sell this product. And now it's like, well, I have really like 50 different services I'm offering that right. I want to combine and mediate. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been right. putting together top end devs, and all of the stuff's digital, right? So I don't have the logistics part of it, where I'm shipping a thing, physical thing, you know, through the universe. But I mean, even just selling digital products, you deal with a lot of that. It's like, oh, I I want a membership that provides it, but I also want to just allow people to buy it one off if they don't want to be part of a membership. And then I've got a couple of different membership levels, and these ones have access to it, and these don't. And, you know, I thought, I guess oh, users. I'm just going to let him sign in and get the thing. And it's just, it's just not that simple. No, it's not. Yeah. And then promotions. Yeah. Like, yeah, promotions. Over time. Yeah. Oh, what if somebody has this happen through Stripe? I, I'm not handling that webhook yet. Yeah. And taxes. <laughs> we can go on. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah. Like a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a point. It's so funny, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I they, want they, I want my membership to cover this third party service now. Right. Everybody wants a service or like, you know, this thing that's open source that, you know, you can just use if you want to sell something. And really, it's like, no, like we want like to pick the things that we want out of this whole pipeline of selling something and then chip that. Right. <laughs> And so I, I was glad to see so, something else come out that wasn't just like a massive rails for e-commerce that you can kind of select and pick what you needed to, which I know you could do with Spree, but it, if you didn't fit the mold, it was hard to bend it, you know, as we've been saying. So uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how Sol Solidus will survive, really, mm -hmm. <laughs> if it falls into the same traps, right? Like as time goes on. <laughs> yeah, in some way we are moving uh, away from... Uh, having a mold 
of any sort. Uh, for example, the front end uh, used to be uh, this uh, huge collection of views, uh, which will be will be injected in the inheritance chain of your application. So you could overwrite only the views that you want to change. So that's never the case. Every e-commerce want, uh, wants a custom theme. Every e-commerce, on, like in this bracket at least, wants a custom theme and they want to really customize and their, their brand shown. So you ended up overriding everything. So we, we trashed that uh, and we now like just write a starter set of views to your application. You can just modify that. And, and we focus more on building, um, building some building blocks for you to, to mix and match, uh, to enable things. Uh, and I think in the future, we'll move more and more toward that. Uh, like, for example, we were talking about promotions. Promotions are really powerful in solids and they were also in Spree. Sometimes they are too powerful. <laughs> like uh, you, you want mm-hmm. to start out with something simpler. Like you, you just want to have a sale of something and you don't want all that complications. So that's a great candidate for having multiple uh, uh, switchable implementation or options. And we already de- had that uh, for other parts of the system, which can swap classes and have your own implementation or something. So that, that's uh, more or less the, the direction we're taking. And like, it's a uh, real luck that we, we are in touch with lots of companies and big companies doing uh, e-commerce with uh, Solus so we can like gather the best feedback and uh, have different stages in the scalability of a and the history of a company of startup and try to grasp the, the actual pattern rather than coming up with uh, something we we thought in an ivory tower that's not based in in actual problems do you find yourself wanting to create a uh, solidus opal wrapper <laughs> and just writing all of your solidus code in opal yeah, like to be honest, I miss the days in which I was spending uh, much more time on the front end uh, writing Ruby, which at this point, you know, it's a thing. <laughs> and that was really, really enjoyable. And uh, like uh, coming up with uh, your own framework, which was like really simple. I guess it was under 100 lines or 200 lines. I don't know, really tiny. But yeah, it was fun to, to find solutions and uh, like this novel environment. I miss that a little <coughs> bit. I thought many times of uh, creating an alternative front end with Opal, like and like hit uh, two bolts with, with one stone. So far, I wasn't able to. So my, like, I'm trying to lower my, my aims uh, and just like, uh, for example, try to get out the JS bundling integration. And that could be like the start of it. I hope someone younger with, Plenty of time will uh, take up the challenge, and uh, but yeah, maybe over time we'll have more time, and like kids will stay like uh, four months old only for a certain amount of time. So I guess. <laughs> yep. Well, and that's that's part of the thing too. Is yeah, you just go through these uh, periods of life, and yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and push this into picks. We've you know we're kind of getting to that point in the show. Well, not to picks. We're gonna do the self promotion portion first. But before we do that, Alia, if people want to connect with you or see what you're working on these days, uh, what's the best place to do that? Yeah, the, the best place is actually GitHub. You can follow me on GitHub. Uh, the handle is actually Alia, E-L-I-A. My name, uh, I also kind of, uh, I'm kind of present on Twitter. 
it's not technical stuff. I use it as like a, a for personal opinions. That, so be warned. Otherwise, GitHub is the is the place, and uh, mm. uh, will be happy to meet anyone on the project. And uh, like, if you have any anything want to help, uh, even pairing, I'm all for it. I have uh, I can I can set up a reserve time for for that setting up the project and so on. Cool. All right. Well, let's do this self promotion. Valentino, what are you working on? So I just wrote this article on uh, some source files I found in Ruby. There's a special samples directory uh, in the Ruby source code. And I basically just have been going through one by one, seeing what they are and how they run and what they do. And it's really, it was really fun, really interesting stuff in there. And I I had to break it apart because I wrote too long of an article for our blog to handle. Uh, so uh, it's this is part one of three, and I'm looking forward to more. Uh, it's called Ruby Delights Built into the Language. So I, I recommend checking out kind of the wild things in there. One of my favorite is definitely there's this uh, biorhythm calculator <laughs> mm-hmm. where, you know, they, they you just put in your birth date and it says, you know, oh, how's your physical, emotional, mental health? And they have like a bad condition, good condition range. <laughs> and they then will give you, you know, your week at a glance. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Oh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> so there's a bunch of different things in there. Check, I would definitely check it out. Very cool. I'm going to drop in a few things. Uh, one is we still we're still doing the book club, clean art, clean architecture. Uncle Bob has been showing up to those, so it's been fun to talk to him about what makes good software architecture. And yeah, we've been recording them too. So if you sign up for the book club and you're worried about having missed some of the conversations, you can join the book club, pick up the book, right, join the next call, and just have read the chapters that we're reading, and then go get caught up. I've also been pulling a few people in on the. A membership and coaching. So the membership includes a couple of, what do we call them? Just mastermind calls, I guess, where people get on. We usually have some experts show up kind of like this. And it's kind of somewhere between them explaining to us how a thing works and us asking questions, right? So it's, it's very open discussion forum. A few more people on it than are usually on the podcast, but it's an hour long and we, yeah. So I'm looking to have some of my friends who are experts in productivity or on managing your 401k, right? And then maybe some of the more career-focused stuff like how to network with people or how to communicate better, how to use Slack, Git, GitHub, uh, Visual Studio Code, stuff like that. And then we're going to be putting up next month, and I kept going back and forth. I've decided to do these for free, but we're going to have meetups for each of the language areas we cover. So there will be a Ruby meetup next month. I don't know who the guest is going to be. It's probably going to be like 50% presentation and like 50% Q&A. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go over to an area that I've set up. It's a virtual like room office where you can go and you can walk up to a group and be part of the conversation or sit down at the table with somebody who's there that says they're hiring and have a conversation and, and just kind of free form have conversations like you would after a meetup. And so uh, looking forward to all that. And that'll be under the topendevs.com slash meetups. I don't have the sign up pages yet. The sign up is essentially you give us your email so we can let you know when the next one is. And yeah, they may be sponsored. So we might, you know, plug somebody for two minutes at the beginning of the call. But I'm, I'm not going to make that very heavy handed at all. I really want it to be a social thing. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And then yeah, I'm, I started my first coaching group. So if you're looking for kind of directed career coaching where you have somebody that's holding you accountable and answering your questions and introducing you to people you need to know, 
then you can go sign up for that at topendevs.com slash coaching. All right, Alia, anything else you're working on you want to let us know about? Yeah, I was thinking about this. Uh, and uh, I want to plug uh, one uh, gem I wrote uh, some time ago. And that is for uh, having uh, helpers uh, in the race console. And that's super optimized. You can uh, use that in production. It doesn't load unless, unless you load up the console. And uh, whenever you have... Uh, Lots of models uh, like nested namespaces uh, and stuff like that. That's that those I hate typing, so like that's probably not the right job for this. But I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I try to to be lazy in that, uh, and that allows you to have shortcuts uh, like uh, for finding uh, a model by slug or by by like uh, stuff like that to make your life easier in the console for race. And the name is Race Console Toolkit. And yeah, I'll send a link for the notes. Awesome. All right, let's do some picks. Valentino, you have some picks? Sure. I've been following along on Twitter as Shopify kind of has been releasing their early hints in their performance with all their work on, you know, Ruby 3.2 and the widget and all that. Really impressive numbers coming out. They're seeing kind of like a a 10% performance boost across all of their services. Uh, now that they have pretty much every storefront running the latest Ruby 3.2 with uh, Widget enabled. So really, really cool to see, you know, all of their efforts come out. Really, really fun. The next pick I got is uh, running Rails from Docker. There's a new Rails repo, Dockered, <laughs> where they're going to start supporting running Rails on Docker out of the box. So you'll then have a a new command to run all of your Rails commands through and have it all in the container, kind of solve a lot of the deployment issues, questions, is now everything can be just containerized and you could ship it wherever you want to. So really kind of cool to see that come out. I'm excited to play with that. All right. I'm going to throw in my picks next. So uh, the first one is going to be a card game. And the card game's name is The Game. Yeah, it's a terrible name. It's like when you're trying to get information on the Go programming language. So you go to Google and you type in Go and you get everything. This is kind of the same deal. Uh, the game is a card game. You can have like two, three or four stacks that you're working from. And basically, you're either counting up from one or down from 100 on each of the stacks. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to put out the entire deck, right? So if you're going up from one, you can go up. You can put any number that's higher than the number that's there. But if you make too large a jump, then you're making it harder to get rid of the numbers in between. And so you want to kind of keep them close. But sometimes the cards in your hand, you just don't have a choice. And so, you know, you wind up making a bad play. There's a rule that you can move it back down a number if you go up or down by 10, I think it was. So you can kind of erase some of those mistakes a little bit. But uh, it it's a pretty well-balanced game to where it's not super easy, but it's not impo- <coughs> it's not impossible to win either. And this is a game that I think my seven year old could probably pick up and play. Like we might encourage her not to make certain mistakes, but you know she knows numbers, and so she knows this one's bigger than that one, so she could figure it out. Board Game Geek weights it at one point two five. So, like I said, it's pretty simple, and it, it was really fast too. We played game in like twenty minutes. If we agonized over our decisions, it was a half hour. So anyway, this is super fun. So I'm going to pick that. I am getting back into triathlon training. My goal was by the end of next year to have completed an Ironman. And so I'm getting back into the training now so that I can do one in the fall. Because if I try and do one now, I just won't finish. But anyway, so the Ironman race I'm looking at is Maryland, Ireland, Maryland. And that's in September. 
September, October. The training system that I'm using is called TriDot, TriDot.com. And you, as you do your workouts, you get scores and then you do like a monthly fitness evaluation and they adjust your speeds and ranges and stuff, right? So uh, for your bike, you know, it may tell you to, that you want to start going 10 miles an hour instead of nine miles an, nine miles an hour. When you're running, it'll set your, you know, an eight minute mile pace instead of a nine minute mile pace, right? As you get better. So I'm going to pick that. I got a free trial and then they added me to their preseason preview and I got two months of free training. So I don't have to pay for it until sometime in February. And so I'm pretty happy about that too. But yeah, it's good stuff. I'm trying to figure out how to get it to sync the workouts over to my phone and my watch. I guess it does that. It just doesn't do that for the swims. So I've got to figure that out. But anyway, really digging it. And so I'm going to pick that as well. And then I'm excited to watch 1923, which is the new Yellowstone prequel with Harrison Ford in it. And so I'm hoping it's as good as 1883, which I actually like better than Yellowstone. So there you go. Elia, what are your picks? I'm going to pick a couple of blog posts from the Hey blog. Mm -hmm. One is a series from uh, this 37 Signals employee named Jorge. And that's a series on uh, how they develop and uh, do object-oriented design inside uh, Signals and Basecamp. And I skimmed through some of the posts, read some others. It's great stuff. It's really great stuff. I'm picking it also because I think for many people it will be both refreshing and something new, in which like it's a bit different from the prescription we get from like the, the current race environment and suggestion and tool set. And I think it's good to have that. Uh, like sort of vanilla rails uh, approach and at least know it, even if you want to move toward with a service object, heavy, like uh, structured uh, situations. That's really the, the basis, like picking good names and uh, dividing code in the right way. The other one is a blog post from DHH on DEI, uh, which uh, like sport a bit of a controversy, I think on social media, but that led me to great, podcaster, which I'm digging really uh, lately, which is called New Discourses. It's about philosophy, so if you're not interested about that, like you can skip it, but uh, I find it really deep and, uh, and informed, actually useful for my everyday life and schools and kids, which is surprisingly connected. Cool. Well, I'll have to check all that stuff out. Thanks for coming, Alia. This was really fun, and it was fun to kind of jump in and talk about opal and then you know slide in a little solidus at the end yeah that was great thanks for having me all right folks we'll wrap it here until next time max out